Chinese companies feeling the heat. From the state to the federal level, officials are cracking down on Chinese firms. The Biden administration blacklisting another 37 companies, including Chinese companies BGI and Inspur. The state of Nebraska joining in, listing telecom giants like Huawei and ZTE. And U.S. ally Australia also taking aim, prying China's grip from rare earth supplies. That's through banning a Chinese-linked investment fund in the country. The goal? Purging Chinese infiltration. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. 37 companies blacklisted by the Biden administration Thursday. Among them, units of Chinese genetics company BGI and Chinese cloud computing firm Inspur. The Commerce Department singled out BGI Research and BGI Tech Solutions for the trade restrictions. That's over allegations they pose a significant risk of helping Beijing surveillance and military programs. BGI's forensics subsidiary also got listed, called Forensics Genomics International. The company is closely linked to the Chinese military. In 2021, a report exposed that BGI had harvested genetic data from over 8 million pregnant women in at least 52 countries. BGI also developed the prenatal test that was used together with the Chinese military. The Chinese company first got a foothold on American soil through a purchase in 2013 when it bought up Complete Genomics. The California-based company holds genetic information on U.S. citizens. Last month, Complete Genomics announced plans to put new devices in use. The company says they can decode more DNA at lower cost than any other device available on the market. China has long considered genetic data collection a national security issue. Beijing has restricted foreign researchers from accessing gene data on Chinese people since 2015. In contrast, the U.S. and Britain give foreign researchers access to genetic data as part of open science policies. Back to Washington's latest blacklist additions, the Commerce Department also accused Inspur of supporting China's military modernization efforts by pursuing U.S. goods. Here's Beijing's response. China is strongly dissatisfied with this and firmly opposes it. The blacklist limits targeted companies from receiving shipments of U.S. goods. Other additions to the list include entities said to violate sanctions on Iran, three firms in Russia, Belarus and Taiwan. The U.S. says have aided Russia's military. Companies in China and Myanmar over human rights violations. And companies in China and Pakistan for backing certain ballistic missile programs of concern. Another U.S. state aiming to purge Chinese infiltration and protect taxpayer money. Nebraska is taking action against companies linked to the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. Governor Jim Pillen announced an executive order Thursday. Here's what it covers. The order bans the state government and contractors from using equipment and services produced by a list of CCP-linked companies. It says they can be used to commit malicious actions that include economic and industrial espionage. Companies on the list include Huawei and ZTE, among others. Pillen says the executive order will stop the CCP from using technology to infiltrate and influence Nebraska's infrastructure. These companies are considered national security risks by the U.S. Federal Communications Commission. In 2019, the commission banned sales of certain equipment made by them on American soil. Across the ocean, Australia is breaking China's grip on rare earth supplies. Australia just banned a Chinese-linked investment fund from boosting its stake in a crucial rare earth producer. 
Last year, the company Yixiao Fund attempted to double its investment in Northern Minerals Limited from just under 10 percent to nearly 20. Australia's federal treasurer blocked the move but gave no comment. According to Northern Minerals Executive Chairman, Yixiao Fund is linked to a Chinese national named Yixiao Wu. Wu also owns rare earth mines in a nation in southern Africa. Rare earths are key to crafting military equipment. China currently dominates rare earth production globally, accounting for 85 percent of the world's refining capacity. Earlier this year, the U.S. also took action against Beijing's monopoly in the sector. America's only rare earth producer sent output from its new processing plant to Japan, marking an effort to reduce Chinese control over the supply chain. Back to the U.S., can U.S. intelligence related to the origins of COVID-19 be declassified? The Senate is moving to do just that. A bill introduced by Senators Josh Hawley and Mike Brown passed with unanimous consent. The two senators are now calling on the House to approve it. Here's Senator Josh Hawley speaking with Jesse Waters on Fox News Wednesday. We need the House to pass it, Jesse, and then we can get this thing done. Listen, the American people, it, it's past time. Let's yeah. show them what the government has. Let everybody see for themselves. Let everybody read it. The bill is called the COVID-19 Origin Act of 2023. It specifically aims to investigate the possibility that the virus leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown made a request for unanimous consent of the bill. That request was granted without objection. Unanimous consent enables a bill to pass without a recorded vote. The bill was reintroduced on Monday after the Department of Energy concluded the pandemic most likely arose from a lab leak. The FBI came to a similar conclusion. The bill would require the Biden administration to declassify all information in the government's possession on the most likely origins of COVID-19. And just in from Washington, President Biden stepped outside Friday, approaching reporters. He appeared to be getting ready to respond to questions before turning away without comment. That's after he heard NTD White House's correspondent Iris Tao's question about COVID-19's origin and whether he'll hold China accountable. On COVID origin, we will hold China accountable. And in Canadian Parliament, a committee now calling on the government to probe allegations of foreign election interference. Lawmakers passed a motion Thursday after listening to testimony from top intelligence officials. The motion is non-binding, but ramps up pressure on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government, urging it to investigate whether foreign players like China tried to meddle in the 2021 and 2019 general elections. Chinese Foreign Minister Qing Gan called those allegations completely false and nonsensical. The vote came after Canada's spy agency said no major foreign election interference impacted the country's last two votes. Trudeau has acknowledged interference attempts by China, but insisted the outcomes of the votes were not altered. The biggest military exercises in Southeast Asia, led by the U.S. and joined by 30 countries, excluding China. It's called the Cobra Gold Exercise. The two-week drill kicked off on Tuesday in Thailand. The 7,000 troops involved are all from the Indo-Pacific region. Through Cobra Gold, we demonstrate our resolve to respond together, to preserve a free and open Indo-Pacific so that all nations can maintain peace, stability, and prosperity. The annual exercises took a two-year break due to the pandemic. 
This year's drills will cover a broad range land, sea, air, cyberspace, and, for the first time ever, space operations. The Cobra Gold drill first began in the 1980s. It remains a key platform for Washington to shore up alliances in Asia amid China's growing influence. After the joint drill in Thailand wraps up, another is set to launch. U.S. and South Korean troops will soon hold their largest combined military drill in years. Officials from the two countries announced the large-scale exercises on Friday. The exercises are dubbed Freedom Shield. They will be held from March 13th to the 23rd. The two militaries say it will strengthen the Allies' combined defensive posture as well as their response capabilities. The spokesman for South Korean forces says the focus will be on changing threats and the security environment. He referenced North Korea's aggression and their advanced nuclear and missile program. The spokesman for U.S. forces says the drills are routine and purely defensive. One of those exercises will include a combined amphibious drill that will be conducted to improve combined operation execution capabilities. We go together. North Korean officials claim joint military operations like this are proof that the U.S. and its allies are hostile. South Korean officials have noted that North Korea is also conducting annual winter drills. Foreign ministers from the Quad Alliance meeting in India Friday. During the talks, they agreed to enhance cooperation and hinted at veiled criticism of China without directly mentioning its name. We allow, um... Quad is short for Quadrilateral Security Dialogue. Australia, India, Japan and the United States make up its four members. While the dialogue is considered a strategic response to China's rising military power in the Indo-Pacific region, in the latest meeting, the four nations emphasized the value of freedom, rule of law, sovereignty and territorial integrity, as well as the peaceful settlement of disputes. The ministers also voiced concerns over Beijing's current activities in the South China Sea and around Taiwan. In response, Beijing accused the Quad of engaging in what it called exclusive cliques. The four ministers said their nations don't see conflict with China. Canada intercepting large quantities of banned weapons from China. These weapons arrived in parcels at the Vancouver International Airport under a false declaration. Those prohibited weapons included stun guns, prohibited knives, and uh, brass knuckles. But what we did is we uh, investigated the case further, and then we executed a search warrant and arrested an individual uh, who is alleged to have smuggled those weapons. Canadian authorities arrested that individual, and investigators seized more firearms from the person's home. In total, they found over 1,300 prohibited weapons. In a statement, Canada's Minister of Public Safety said the agency is taking action at the border to keep communities safe, seizing banned weapons and ensuring criminals are held accountable. With over half of the world's grain in its pocket, China still appears anxious about food shortages. Beijing recently unveiled its first policy paper of the year. It singled out food supply as a top concern for the country, urging farmers to scale up production. Here's a closer look. Is there a food shortage happening in China? According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, China has stockpiled more than half of the planet's grains as of mid-2022. That equals the amount China's total population consumes in a year. This hoard is so large that Washington accused Beijing of driving up global food prices and plunging more countries into famine. So what's behind the communist regime's stock up? 
Professor Frank Tian She from the University of South Carolina, Aiken, shared this insight. I guess China may have a problem with food production, meaning its domestic output isn't high enough. As for importing grains, one obstacle is the current spike in prices, the other is the global inflation. Internationally, China's falling exports are bringing in less foreign exchange, leaving less money for food imports. While in China, heavy floods pummeled several provinces in southern China last year. In other regions, extreme heat and drought have also hurt agriculture. In the absence of mechanized mass production, China relies heavily on manual labor to produce its food. But nowadays it doesn't have enough rural labor anymore. Another expert says Beijing is facing pressure even beyond food insecurity. That's based on China's so-called number one document, an annual blueprint for the country's rural policy. The paper mentions specifically that there are various changes both at home and abroad. Such rare upheavals are destabilizing the communist regime's rule. This is what the document implies. Meanwhile, as tensions around Taiwan escalate, Li poses a question. How can Beijing start a war if it's short on food? The Chinese regime's espionage tactics don't stop at spy balloons. That's from a new report, saying hackers linked to China have been gathering far more information. Leading cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike recently published its annual Global Threat Report. It identifies China-linked hackers as the most active cyber intrusion groups in 2022. It says cyber espionage groups linked to China have taken aim at about 40 industries in the U.S. and globally. About a fourth of those attacks targeted countries in North America. Adam Myers, the head of intelligence at CrowdStrike, explained they're endemic at this point. They're everywhere. Based on the report, hackers have targeted almost every sector, from government to defense, aerospace, technology, telecommunications and manufacturing, even pharmaceuticals and academia. The report also labels Taiwan as the region most targeted by Chinese hackers in 2022. In particular, Taiwan-based technology organizations were overwhelmingly singled out. More than 90% of the world's cutting-edge microchips are manufactured on the island. Coming up, is China's military buildup really outpacing the U.S.? Plus, why does an expert say China is already attacking us, but America hasn't defended itself? We hear from Grant Newsham, author of When China Attacks, A Warning to America, in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What exactly is psychological warfare and how has Beijing waged it against the U.S.? Plus, what does China having more Navy ships mean for America? We hear from Grant Newsham, author of When China Attacks, A Warning to America, for details. Let's zoom in. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. I want to begin with a recent warning about Beijing's military buildup. So this latest one is from the U.S. Navy secretary, and he's saying China's military buildup, especially in ships, is outpacing the U.S. So what does that mean for the U.S.? Do we look at the numbers or is quality also a factor? Well, the numbers matter at least as much as the quality when you're dealing with the People's Republic of China. 
they have got a very good Navy. It has come a long way very quickly. And if you look at them, if you're around them, you'll see a degree of professionalism that ought to give pause uh, to anyone on our side. And numbers do matter, as you say. Uh, and the Secretary of the Navy is saying what has been obvious really for a long time, um, you know, just some, uh, some rough figures. Uh, the U.S. Navy has about 295 ships. That's to cover the entire world. Um, China has at least 350 warships. And that doesn't even include the coast, their Coast Guard ships, which are built like warships. Uh, they have a maritime militia. Uh, that adds some thousands of ships to that. They have other sort of governmental ships that are very useful. Uh, so they're actually around 700, and we're at about 295, and we are planning to go down to 250 or so before we start rebuilding, hopefully to get up to 350. But the, the one figure to keep in mind, and this is for you know someone who's going to go out there and potentially die, is in the South China Sea, where if America sends a ship in, and you see, we do publicize that uh, a lot to show we're there, nobody can stop us. Um, every American ship that goes in there, um, one, it is shadowed by Chinese ships, and it is potentially outnumbered at least 10 to 1. Uh, so put yourself into the position of an American, uh, say, destroyer skipper. And if somehow the shooting starts, you suddenly got 20 anti-ship cruise missiles coming at you at supersonic speeds, what are you going to do? Uh, it just gives you a sense of how the numbers do matter. And if Chinese uh, authorities, if they uh, pick their spots and get the right circumstances, they would give us a real bloody nose, to put it mildly. And we've effectively allowed them to catch up with us and overtake us. Uh, over the last 20 years at least. Uh, we dismissed the threat, we refused to address it, and people who did raise concern, uh, they were sidelined and silenced. Uh, so here we are. So this really is a problem. Uh, the Chinese shipyards uh, have been launching uh, at about a rate of five to one over the last decade warships. So for everyone we put in the water, they put five in. And they have a much bigger shipbuilding capacity than we do. We've allowed ours to wither, and the Chinese have built theirs up uh, just at a breathtaking speed. And Grant, actually, on that note, because you mentioned in a potential shooting match, right, those numbers will start playing in. You do also bring that up in your upcoming book called When China Attacks. Let me see if it's on screen here. Um, and in that book, it's not just the future when, but you're also kind of mentioning how China's attacking us now. Can you explain that dual title? Uh, what I point out is that China is already attacking us, and they've been at it for at least 30 years, longer, most likely, but it just take 30. And it has been a multifaceted front, and we have not defended ourselves. And one of the big uh, methods of this is one was called psychological warfare. And this is, but you want, so you want to get the other side, in this case, the Americans, to think a certain way. And you, th you think about how successful uh, the Chinese have been at this. I'll just throw a couple examples. When somebody says, well, we can't, if we, we can't treat China like an enemy, because that will make them into an enemy. Uh, you hear people say, well, uh, China isn't really communist. Um, and then uh, the business community, the financial class is, well, we just have to be in the China market. Now, these are ideas. And these, the Chinese have successfully gotten people to say these things, to think these things. 
And so there's a psychological aspect to all of this. Um, but then you have uh, other sort of avenues of attack. Uh, this could be biological warfare, you know, the, the COVID uh, epidemic that, you know, one can argue of where it came from, but it certainly came from China, uh, that it is effectively a biological attack on the United States. Look at how successful it has been uh, in weakening us, getting us to fight each other, really destroying our economy, shutting it down. Um, and so that's one uh, line avenue of attack. Another one is chemical warfare, uh, the fentanyl uh, scourge that is killing now upwards of 70,000 Americans a year of all classes, doesn't matter age, race, anything. Uh, that's 70,000. In the height of the Vietnam War, we were losing, we, well, the whole Vietnam War, we lost 55,000 or so. And every year we're losing more than that and nobody's doing very much. The fentanyl 99% of it comes from China. They could stop it if they wanted. We're not doing anything. So psychologically, they have gotten the Americans to not respond, to just sort of take it. And you can't even say hardly that China did it. So there's biological warfare, chemical warfare, uh, cyber warfare. Uh, the cyber theft has been immensely successful. Uh, you look at a lot of the Chinese Air Force aircraft and well, they look exactly like American ones. And that's no coincidence. Uh, they have, uh, additionally, there's something called uh, proxy warfare, where you get other people to do your work. And when you've got retired American congressmen and senators who go to work as lobbyists for Chinese companies in the United States, well, you've had, you've been pretty darn successful uh, if you can get that economic warfare. Well, the Chinese got the American political class, the business class, financial classes, to let them into the World Trade Organization. And that cost well over 3 million manufacturing jobs in the United States. So those are some of these avenues of attack. And you'll notice none of these have anything to do with a shooting war, but they're setting us up for it when that time comes. And Grant, yeah, expanding on that, you also do a masterful job laying that all out in your book, and you do name names, too, for those who are curious. But what led you to write this book? Because as it says as a subtitle, A Warning to America. So what led you to this? What led to me writing is when I thought I had something to say. I've spent 40-plus uh, years uh, on or in the Asia-Pacific region, a lot of that focusing on China and have a, a bit of a unique background, because I was with the Marines for a long time, was also with the US State Department, uh, worked for a high-tech company, Motorola, if anybody remembers that name, uh, and also an investment bank. So I've seen the, the, the Asia Pacific uh, and the China threat, the security situation over a number of decades from different perspectives. So I thought I had uh, something to add, and that's what I tried to do, was to give my take on the China issue uh, what sort of a threat it poses, what sort of hard damage it's already done, what is the, uh, the, the problem if we actually lose, what will that be like, uh, what are our prospects, and also what do we do about it? It's always really easy to complain about things, but then providing some answers and solutions is the, the, the challenge. And I, I reckon that if you do write a book, you do have an obligation to say, well, this is what we ought to do. America has been in trouble before, and we pulled out of it, and there's a chance we could pull out of this one as well. But we are uh, in danger right now, as I see it. Well, Grant Newsham, thank you so much for joining us. No pleasure. I'm glad to be here.
That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.